Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. Welcome back to Season 3 of the Uncovered Podcast, where we're talking about the entrepreneurial side of VC. I'm here with my colleague, Marissa Milbury. Hey, Matt. And we're here with Virginie Raphael, who's going to join us and, and discuss her path. How are you doing today? Hi, good to be here. Hi, both. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for, for joining us. I think the best way to, to start would be to just dive into your background, Virginie. Can you tell us you know, what it's been like starting full circle and just discuss kind of your path to becoming a VC? Yes, Absolutely. So I'm I'm from France originally. Started a very long way off VC. I wanted to be a diplomat when I was younger because I figured government was the only sure way to make an impact on on a large amount of people. The college I went to in France happened to have an exchange program with Georgetown, which was perfect for someone who wanted to be a diplomat. But I never intended to stay past that that one year abroad program. I had a transformative experience at Georgetown and, and decided to extend my stay eventually by quite a bit since I'm still here 20 years later, started my career in investment banking at Lehman Brothers, the summer was seven, which was an interesting time to start a career in banking. Uh, I was in public finance, which was a good fit for me, given that it was somewhere between the private and the public sector and enabled me to continue working with state and local government. While banking enabled me to really acquire a great solid set of financial analytical skills, the big corporate environment was just not for me. So after five years, I was recruited out of banking by Bradley Tusk, whom I had met at Lehman and was starting a new regulatory and political consulting firm that had just been hired by a small transportation startup by the name of Uber at the time. Luckily for us, they convinced us to take half our retainer in equity, uh, which is fair to say worked out pretty well for, for the firm and launched um, Tusk on a venture journey all the way to a venture capital fund eventually. I was fortunate to be an integral part of, of the small and mighty team that raised and stood up and managed the first two funds at Tusk, and then decided it was time for me to set up my, my own firm, Full Circle, as you know, which I launched June of last year. That's such a great background. Thanks for sharing that with us. So can you dig in a little bit more about how first Full Circle came to life? Sure. So when I left Tusk... I had made a number of angel investments myself the, the year prior to that and really figured out that I wanted to invest at pre-seed because there was an enormous amount of opportunity given that the market was largely getting bifurcated between the pre-seed stage, as I, which I define as rounds anywhere between 500 and a million and a half, really the first money in into the company. And there was a lot of capital coming to the market at that seed plus stage. So I really wanted to to position myself as a first-time fund, pre-seed fund that would fund companies at the earliest possible stages because I really, really loved one-to-one relationship with founders and, and I knew that's where I wanted to play. And given that, I started asking myself a lot of questions around what is the best possible way to launch a pre-seed fund in the current market that stand the 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 test of time, right? So I didn't necessarily want the fund to evolve into a much larger fund that would have to over time evolve its strategy. I really wanted to figure out 
how do remain focused at pre-seed over time and continue to develop that competitive advantage at that stage. Um, so I started researching a lot about uh, fund structure is the current way that we're raising capital and that VC funds are being raised the best possible way that I can structure my fund to execute on the strategy that I wanted to execute on. And the answer was no. So I identify what it is that was important to me in terms of having that very collaborative pre-seed strategy that that was going to uh, evolve over time, but but very much remain focused at that stage. So a few, a few things came to mind. One was there was a maturity mismatch fundamentally between companies remaining private for much longer and funds being still 10 year in, in life for the most part. In fact, the average life of a fund is 15 years, not 10, right? So it became really interesting to me to think about why as an industry and for all the investing that we do in the best, most innovative companies, right? We were still raising funds in very much the same way that we always had, which is 2% management fee, 20% carry, 10 year in, in maturity. So that was the first thing. The second was if I look at the way that capital was being deployed, right? That 10 year life was also a driver of how quickly capital was being deployed, right? So if you're a manager of a pre-seed fund, the fund must be dissolved in 10 years. Naturally, you're going to compress the capital deployment period down to a minimum and invest most of the capital first or second year of the fund, right? To me, that led to a bit of a misalignment of incentives because LPs were, were seeing managers come back real, real quickly to market, right? Of course, if you charge a portion of your fee as a percentage of AUM, that adds to that issue, right? Which is the, the name of the game becomes AUM and how fast you can accumulate um, assets under management. So, so I wanted to, to solve for that uh, and decided to launch the fund with a per- permanent fund structure, which enabled me to have a little bit of a longer term horizon, better time diversification for my investors, more predictability around the drawdown of their capital, and really from a founder standpoint, right, be much more aligned with their own timeline and them knowing that they didn't have to worry in terms of whether I was deploying for fund, from fund one, fund two, or if there was some cross investment going on between funds. None of that. It was just a much cleaner structure for what it is that I wanted to do. And most importantly, which was critical to me, a much better alignment of incentives across the board with my founders and my investors. So that's how Full Circle came to be, really, is this very unique structure and approach that I thought the market had appetite for. Thanks for walking us through that. That is uh, super unique. And um, I, I'd love to hear more about your fundraising experience for a perpetual fund. But taking a step back, you know, I think a lot of folks forget this, but VCs raise money just like startup founders do. So can you tell us a little bit about your fundraising process? And then tell us, you know, do you think your fundraising experience for a perpetual fund was different than that for a traditional fund? So the jury's out on on this one because I'm still in the fundraising process. But I think there are, and this is what I love the most about venture is that there are many ways to be successful, right? And and many ways to to do a lot of different things. So from a fundraising standpoint, I am more in the camp of quality over quantity, right? So you can go into it thinking, well, it's a numbers game. I need to talk to as many investors as possible. Or you can say, this is kind of a product market fit exercise, right? I need to understand the product that I'm pitching to the market. 
And I need to understand who who is most likely to resonate with it, who can or cannot buy that product, right? And, and why? And then kind of narrow your process down to a top of funnel that in my case, right, is not perhaps as wide as you would anticipate it to be, but at least is, is fairly well pre-qualified, right? So fund of funds, I know I'm not a good candidate for a permanent fund structure. They're in the business of closing funds every couple of years. They want to be able to have certainty around when they get their cash out. So I eliminated fund of funds largely from my fundraising process because I knew they were not a good candidate. I knew, on the other hand, that family offices who are likely candidates just for first-time fund period, but particularly because Full Circle doesn't have the same management fee structure because it is a permanent vehicle. I have a management uh, fee that's based on the annual budget. And that gave them a lot of comfort around the fees are not going to get stacked up over time. There are certain fixed costs associated with forming a fund, which in my case are only going to be incurred at a front, right? And then there's not going to be new fund formation cost each time I raise a new fund. Because for me, it's one fund and that's it, right? Uh, so that was appealing to them. They particularly appreciated the fact that I was focused on pre-seed exclusively and wanted to maintain that pre-seed focus over the life of the firm. So to them, that meant that the any later stage opportunities and prorata that might have secured, they would have an opportunity to invest in because they were investors in the fund. So that that it became pretty clear to me really quickly that they could be really great long-term partners, which was important to me because I'm very intentional in terms of how I built my, my cap table, so to say, right, to continue to draw the parallel with, with founders. So that's how I chose to, to run my fundraising process is really to be highly specific and intentional about people that I pitch in the first place and people that I invite to join the fund. Yeah, that that's super smart. And so, you know, this is fresh in your mind. You're going through this right now. Can you share with us, you know, what your first LP commitment was like? Yes. Um, so it was actually a friend of mine from from grad school who backed me way well before I had a deck even, who said, you're raising a fund. This is your next thing that you're doing. I'm in. I'm in. Just, just count me in. And it's great to have people like that early on in your race, right? Because it gives you confidence gives you some momentum to build on uh and they're not necessarily the largest checks but they are so gone ho by helping you get this thing off the ground right that they are very helpful in a lot of other ways so that lp has made a number of introductions that have translated into real dollars being committed to the funds he also helped me co-warehouse uh, my first investment in the fund enabling me to deploy more more capital well before I had capital called and committed to the fund. So it's uh, it's been great. It's a, it's a great for LP to have. And, and I'm grateful to have a, so far 15 investors in, in the fund that are equally supportive and enthusiastic about the new model and this new approach, which I'm really thrilled. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Virginia, I'd love to just jump in and, and switch gears a little bit here. And, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you think about kind of the parallels of now going out there and raising a fund and starting an actual company and, and having to go raise money for a company. And, you know, what has it done for you as it relates to as you engage with entrepreneurs on kind of like the capital providing side now versus in the past when perhaps maybe you weren't raising the capital for those funds? And, and how do you think about the parallels there? Yeah, I so other than quality of quantity, right, which is 
to me, when, when founders raise, I always, always remind them fundraising is just a means to an end, right? This is not a milestone. This is not defining success in and of itself. Just ensure that the first thing you do is, is have a budget, have a use of funds, and know what you're raising the capital for. And to me, that's been very similar as a fund manager, especially as I have to put this management fee budget together, is really to think deeply about what do I need money that is not going to be spent on investments, right? It's going to be a drag on, on my performance. What, what do I need that money for, right? What's critical to running the firm and versus what's not? So a constant kind of reminder that prioritizing and, and, and budgeting is, is critical, then, then thinking through the, the partners that you want around you, right, early on, because they're going to be on your cap table for, for a very, very long time. It's tempting, right, sometimes when you're in fundraising process to just get it done quickly. Uh, we just went through this. We're now talking mid, mid-January. There's a lot of founders that I met mid-December who were eager to close their rounds by the end of the year. Um, and you know, nothing really magical happens at the end of the year, other than it's true that people maybe slow down the pace a bit, right? And if you're going to get better results by giving people a little bit more time and giving people space at the end of the year when calendars get inevitably overtaxed, then you might get to a better result, right? Except you need to let go of the the idea that you had in your mind that you're going to be done by the end of the year. I, I, I think there's a lot of parallels, both strategically from a business standpoint, but also emotionally and from a personal standpoint to have gone through the fundraising process. And what's, in your view, what's the largest challenge you've faced thus far in starting and and running the fund? It, you know, on the fundraising side specifically, it's been around urgency and creating that sense of urgency because the reality is there is none, right? There's always an incentive for investors to wait until the portfolio shapes up a little bit more before they decide to commit into and come into the fund. That's true funders, right? For, for the most part, although the rounds have mo- moving quicker and quicker, it seems there was some of that happening at the end of the year. I think there was a little bit of pause coming up. Um, so, I, so I think creating that urgency when you don't have a lot of leverage to create it is has been a challenge for someone as as impatient and as we all are, I'm sure, being in VC. Thanks. Yeah. You know, you're a founder yourself, in addition to going through the fundraising process, you've actually, you're a founder yourself at Transact Global. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience and any other parallels that you can draw between entrepreneurship and, and venture capital through that experience? Yes, for sure. So, so Transact Global is all about community. It is a community of about 300 female-led funds that we created. It was created by uh, Soraya Dorabi in 2018, and then four other co-founders, including myself, joined a little bit later on. And we, uh, as we were all in VC, we were facing a whole other host of challenges, but especially as some of us started to branch out and, and raise their own firms, we saw a pretty wide space in the market where there was nothing to really help investors, female investors, who had decided to to start their own firm. Right, there was a lot of firms doing a lot of great work in the industry, always being one of them to make sure that we had women in position of check check writing ability positions, right, in partnership positions, which is critically important and, and great. Also, except there was not much out there for uh, for women like us who were starting their own funds. So we created Transact Global 
its uh, WhatsApp community still, not not super elaborate. We're all running it uh, out of our own time, which which is not a lot of to go around. And the, the goal is really uh, to create this trusted community where we can exchange best practices and tips largely around fundraising. We've done a lot to back channel on LP references. We've done LP, we've made LP introductions amongst ourselves and helped each other raise real dollars. It's a, it's a really great community. We really operate out of a place of abundance, not, not scarcity. Um, and the parallels that I would draw there is that you know, VC is really a, a team sports, especially at pre-seed. Those rounds are going to be syndicated out, right? So if you want to be a repeat player, you have to be able to, to be collaborative, bring those syndicates together, especially as a solo GP. I love collaborating with other uh, firms whom I know are value aligned and, and treat founders in, in the same way that I want to treat founders. And so that community has been a great source of, of inspiration for me as I'm continuing to, to raise my fund and also a great source of deal flow uh, and, and a good, good place to bounce ideas off. off. So yeah, very proud of it. Is there anyone else, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned inspiration. Is there anyone else who is particularly inspiring or influential during your journey launching full circle? I look up a lot to precursor ventures uh, on the West coast uh, I think the way Charles Hudson has managed to to build it from the ground up and a very small and mighty team that they they still are. I, I speak to to Sydney regularly. I, I'm really admirative of, of, of that fund. Uh, there are many many others uh, who, who do tremendous work as well. But uh, yeah, I look to align myself with funds that have similar strategies and and similar aligned values. So there are way too many to mention, but that's one that comes to mind immediately. Well, Virginie, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today and walking us through your experience. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was fun to do. Thanks, Virginia. It was great to have you on the podcast. And if anyone would like to learn more about the, the podcast, uh, you can feel free to go to pjc.vc forward slash podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcast at pjc.vc.